This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Heal. Now, this was meant to be the day that Keir Starmer could suffer his biggest commons rebellion to date. The SME had an opposition day motion calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. However, Labour then came up with their own amendment, as we discussed yesterday, calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire that they hoped would blunt this and therefore mean that they would not have to have MPs vote on the SNP one. Then, late last night, the government published its own amendment and that meant Keir Starmer appeared to be in hot water once again because precedent would mean that the government amendment was picked over the Labour one. But Isabel, that's not happening. Instead, uh, Lindsay Hoyle has made what is quite a controversial decision. Yeah, so, uh, and James was was covering this, so he'll have the, the full details of, of the drama in, in the Commons. But as you say, you had these two amendments from Labour and the Tories, different enough for them both to sort of merit selection, but possibly to somebody who was sort of lazily looking at them, still quite similar. Um, and I think this is one of the, the things that is that is causing such such anguish for Labour MPs in particular, is that there are these tiny differences that are hugely potent in the wording, uh, not just on immediate ceasefire, but also on what a ceasefire actually would mean. So the difference between the Conservative and and Labour amendments, I would say, is that Labour wants an immediate ceasefire and no return to violence from Hamas and an assurance for Israel that uh, the events of October the 7th don't happen again. Whereas for the Conservatives, a ceasefire can only happen if Hamas is sufficiently degraded to not be able to carry out the attacks. So the way that one Labour person who I was talking to is not happy about the situation said is, is that it's sort of basically asking Israel to suck it up. And that's the kind of difference between the Conservative and, and, and Labour amendment. And as I say, James James was in the chamber covering what then happened with the two amendments that were due for selection by the Speaker. Normally, you do only get one amendment selected, but fury was unleashed. Yes, and looking at that, James, effectively, Lindsay Hoyle has decided all three amendments can be voted on. Mm. You've had a serious amount of lobbying this morning, I think, from all sides, trying to suggest to Lindsay Hoyle which way he should go. And the decision to allow Labour's amendment to be voted on, I think, as as you put it in a, in a Labour source you spoke to, who has said, without Lindsay, we'd be screwed. So it feels by allowing this amendment, Lindsay Hoyle has effectively saved Keir Starmer's bacon. But we've also had an opinion from one of the clerks, haven't we? Yes. So after a pretty lifeless Prime Minister's question, there was then several points of order from various Labour MPs, Liam Byrne, Lucy Powell, to name two. And thereafter, Sir Chris Bryant, one of the best filibusters in the House, forced a division on a 10-minute rule bill. The reason for all of this, of course, was that Labour was stalling for time. They were stalling for time so that the Labour Whip's office could put the pressure on the Speaker to try and select all these amendments, as you say, Katie. And so this is now being interpreted this afternoon as a sign potentially 
of uh, the Speaker breaking long-established convention, that means you don't get to amend an opposition's uh, amendment. And this is what the SNP and the Conservatives are both uh, annoyed by, um, some would say even stronger enraged by, is the fact that he has gone against the advice of the Clerk of the House, Tom Goldsmith, uh, who published a letter saying that he was raising concerns about this. He's concerned that uh, long-established conventions are being breached here. And so talking to uh, different people across Parliament today, uh, there's a real sense of irritation with this. Newsnight's Nick Watt has uh, put forward that uh, some Labour people were putting pressure on, uh, on Lindsay Hoyle that he might lose the speakership after the election. Labour have strongly come out and denied this on the record and said they haven't put any pressure on Lindsay Hoyle to allow this amendment. But I do think the predominant sense of I'm getting from Labour MPs and people around Labour I've spoken to is relief, a real sense perhaps there's going to be a repeat of the scenes we saw in December when 10 frontbenchers had to quit or were fired from the front bench. So they're relieved and the Labour SNP are pretty furious about what's happened, which is they think allowed Keir Starmer to get off the hook just when they had the SNP have one of the fuel fuels they can use in Parliament, which is an opposition day debate. Uh, and so that's where we stand as of around four o'clock this afternoon. Isabel... Where does this leave Lindsay Hoyle? He's been accused in the various briefings so far of exhibiting John Burko-like behaviour, given Burko's tendency to tear up precedent. He has, of course, Lindsay Hoyle suggested that he thought the precedent was outdated. But I think the fact you have that opinion from the clerk of the House, uh, it does mean it, it doesn't look as though, you know, there's mass support behind it, or at least it's, a, you know, it's very much Lindsay Hoyle's opinion rather than those of the House. So I wondered, do you think this makes Lindsay Hall potentially look partisan as though he was trying to do his old party a favour? I mean, I think it is striking from Hoyle because one of the things that he campaigned on when he was standing to be Speaker was to restore trust in the office of Speaker and to stop this sort of willy-nilly tearing up of the rules to suit a certain situation. And the argument that he and lots of people who have been quite relieved by his his uh, performance as speaker so far make is that there's often a good argument for these changes and that you know there might have been a there were some very good arguments for some of the things that Burko did as a sort of principled reform but to make those decisions on the fly because it suits one side or the other generally the side that the speaker has personal sympathies with is a pretty good way of of ensuring that reform doesn't happen in the long run because it immediately becomes part of a, a partisan row. And so I think it, it it's quite surprising that Hoyle has done this. And it's interesting because generally when you get an attempt from, you know, normally it's the executive here, it's the kind of the Labour front bench who, you know, they expect to be the executive quite soon. But either way, the, the top of a party, when you get an attempt from the top of a party to remove a speaker or to act against the speaker, Parliament reacts very badly. That happened when there was a, a conservative attempt at removing John Burko years before he left as speaker, years before Brexit. And Parliament erupted in a, in a fury that few outside Westminster and possibly few within Westminster fully understood. But there's something about the idea of those empowering parties trying to influence, threaten, remove a speaker that MPs generally react very badly to. Now, I don't think that's what the SNP's fury was, was about on, on this. It was because they had got this amendment, as you say, uh, you know, on a rare opposition day. Um, they'd been able to use their parliamentary time to put pressure on the Labour Party uh, and talking to Labour MPs about the impact 
that this um, motion has has had on them over the past couple of weeks, they are extremely stressed and they have found it, you know, the pressure for some of them in their constituencies almost intolerable. Um, and so the SNP were pretty pleased about that. And there's been a row this morning about whether the SNP refused to work with uh, the Lib Dems. It was an allegation made by Alistair Carmichael and then Labour um, on uh, the wording of their original Opposition Day motion um, so that it was something that um, all parties could agree on in terms of the need for greater aid for Gaza, um, for a recognition that too many people have been killed, for there to be a route to a ceasefire, all of the things that you know sort of generally unite those across the House. And the allegation from both Lib Dem and Labour has been that the SNP refused to do that because they were making this a partisan issue. My personal view is that, unfortunately, and this is a brutal thing to say, but it is true that Palestine has been used as a partisan issue for decades in British politics, often without that much regard to Palestinians. So I, I wouldn't say this was a particular departure from the norm, but that's certainly where, where we are. So there is a, you know, a lot of bad feeling in the Commons over something that there hasn't exactly been good feeling over. Yes, and as you touch on as well, it's not as low. Uh, whatever happens in these motions tonight, it's going to massively impact what Israel is doing or so forth. It's felt a much more like a domestic parties thrashing out decisions for their own side as we were saying yesterday yeah it is although I think it is worth looking back to the aftermath of October the 7th and the way in which the commons was united in its condemnation of Hamas and the way in which Keir Starmer was so keen to be in lockstep with the government and to say things like does the prime minister not agree that it's important for the whole house to be to send a united voice on this now you know, there's not been a united voice on this for a long time. And it, according to Keir Starmer's logic back in the autumn, that's a bad thing for Israel. That's a bad thing for the conflict generally. Netanyahu is unlikely to be paying that much attention to people getting crossed with Lindsay Hoyle in the British Parliament. But I think the impression is that that British politics is not full, fully behind Israel's right to defend herself. Indeed, the government certainly isn't on Rafa. But I think more generally on the on the need to degrade Hamas before a ceasefire can take place or not, I think that is still, you know, that that is still something that that, that Israel will be very aware of. And James, just finally, uh, it was news we had yesterday, uh, but we didn't quite get to. Richard is facing yet another by-election. Yes, so this is the circumstances of Scott Benton, who's the MP for Blackpool South. Just before Christmas, he was uh, given a 35-day suspension after a time sting uh, in which he appeared to uh, accept that he would lobby for uh, gambling industry investment individuals. Um, and as a result of that, he appealed. Uh, that appeal has been now struck down by the independent expert panel. And so that 35-day suspension, of course, as we know on this podcast, um, is longer than the 10 days needed to trigger the start of the recall process. So if 10% of Scott Benton's constituents in Blackpool South back a petition, that means that there has to be a, recall, a, a, a by-election there, as we saw in Wellingborough with the second month of Peter Bone. So given the way history's gone, it looks like we're going to see another by-election there. Blackpool South has a majority of about 3,500. That's easily takeable for Labour. It's the most deprived seat uh, the Conservatives currently hold. And uh, you'd expect, given the circumstances of Scott Benton's uh, suspension from Parliament, Labour ought to be able to clean up here in a by-election, no doubt, wrought with many easy metaphors for lobby journalists looking for colour. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.